when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. What a treat I've got for you this time. We're talking about pandemic disease again. We're talking about pandemic disease and the Victorians. Dr. Emma Liggins is a senior lecturer at... Manchester Metropolitan University. She has spent her career studying how 19th century writers like Elizabeth Gaskell and the Brontes responded to their familiarity with pandemic disease. It would have been a part of their lives and it reflects in their writing. In fact, she believes that Victorian Gothic, this kind of spooky genre of writing, which turns the home into a place of nightmarish terror, that is in part a response to the waves of disease that these people would have been having to cope with. This is a fascinating interview to make at this time with COVID still very much affecting communities all around the world. If you subscribe to History Hit TV, it's my new digital history channel. It's like Netflix for history. You can watch hundreds of hours of documentaries or listen to hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of these podcasts. All the back episodes are available there. Go to History Hit TV, use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, and you get your first month for free and the following month for just one pound euro or dollar it's a pretty sweet deal so please go and check that out join the ever-growing army it's all going well at history at tv we're filming at stonehenge on wednesday but we've got lots of exciting stuff coming up a little bit later in the month as well so watch this space in the meantime here's dr emma liggins enjoy emma thank you very much for coming on the podcast yeah thank you for inviting me dan great to be here conversations that we're all having about coughing etiquette and pandemic disease and mortality, morbidity. This is something that would have been very, very familiar to people in the 19th century, presumably. Yes, certainly. I mean, I think it was an age where they were very familiar with disease and death, with fears of contagion, but also in an era where they don't have the same kinds of medical knowledge that we have now when it was still ideas about how disease was spread were very much changing throughout the century. You've talked about it almost the supernatural, a sense of people feeling haunted, cursed by disease. And actually people recently, you know, not just COVID, but the headlines from around the world, there has been a sense like even in this far more secular age, you know, you know we feel cursed, benighted. Definitely. And there, there are these very different understandings, I think, in the 19th century of where disease comes from. So my research is very much on the Victorian supernatural. So that's something that I look out for, these sort of representations of haunting in the culture. But certainly disease was talked about that in that kind of register. So in the ghost stories that I look at, as well as in some of the medical reports, this sort of language of 
children particularly being haunted by these sort of deadly killers or houses being haunted by illness. And those are very much the sort of ways in which some Victorians sort of thought about themselves. And I suppose sort of where the disease was coming from, there were some people who believed that disease was a punishment, you know, from God. Others were sort of thinking about it in terms of immorality or dirt, how disease might have been spread in some of these, the big industrial cities. So lots of sort of conflicting ways of thinking about contagion at the time and this is something that historians I think have been very interested in when they're looking back at the period you know there's not just one way of thinking about contagion it's a word whose meanings were kind of elusive people weren't quite sure where disease was coming from. Take a mid-19th century Victorian British family what would be their experience of loss or mortality and what were those diseases that were most talked about and feared? Was it sort of pulmonary diseases like we have today, influenza kind of disease, or are we talking about diseases through the oral faecal route, your cholera, your dysentery, or that kind of thing? I mean, I think there were throughout the century, there were these epidemics of diseases like cholera that you mentioned, which was kind of rife in, in lots of the big cities like Manchester and London, but there was also diseases like diphtheria, tuberculosis, and scarlet fever, which I seem to have noticed more references, kind of the more reading I'm doing at the moment, that scarlet fever was a big killer of children in the mid-19th century. So I think a lot of families would have experienced loss from scarlet fever, particularly. Or sometimes when you're kind of reading reports, there are children who seem to be dying of fever, which isn't necessarily specified. Maybe it's typhoid which was another disease that is mentioned a lot, but sometimes they're not quite sure. One of the ghost stories that I've been looking at recently by Margaret Oliphant called The Open Door, the boy in that story seems to be suffering from brain fever. So, so many different examples. I mean, I think quite a lot of families, whether they were from the middle classes or the working classes, would have experienced the deaths of children. It's an age of high infant mortality, as we know. But, you know, if you're thinking about the lives of kind of some of these Victorian names, like Charles Darwin lost one of his daughters and two of his babies. So three out of his 10 children died and Emma Darwin was very traumatised by the loss of her daughter. Elizabeth Gaskell, her baby son, died of scarlet fever in 1845 and some of her writing is kind of drawing on her experience of mourning and loss and that sort of knowledge of having nursed these sick children as well, that lots of the sick children would have been nursed in the home, you know, not in hospitals at this time too. So it was a very sort of raw experience. Prince Albert Victor, Queen Victoria's grandson, was killed from Russian influenza, so-called Russian influenza in 1890, I think it was. So it affected all classes, I suppose. So death wasn't ever present. And how did that make itself clear in the literature that you've studied? So I'm sort of interested in looking for these sort of gothic techniques and characteristics that appear in Victorian fiction. So in ghost stories, but also in more realist fiction, you do have these very sort of dark representations of the deaths of 
children particularly or houses that are sort of transformed by this experience of mourning. So I mentioned Elizabeth Gaskell earlier on, who's the Manchester novelist who wrote industrial novels, but also, you know, widely known as a writer of ghost stories and short stories. So in her realist fiction, like the industrial novel called Mary Barton from 1848. There's a scene set in a cellar, a kind of dark, stinking, wet cellar of industrial Manchester where the children are dying, the husband is dying because he can't get to the fever hospital. That's a scene where Gaskell talks about this sort of dark loneliness and the overwhelming anxiety of nursing feverish members of the family and that's something that kind of resonates quite a lot with some of the experiences that people are having at the moment in the time of Covid, that kind of experience of loneliness and anxiety. The writer that I've also mentioned as well, Margaret Oliphant, who's a Scottish novelist and short story writer, and her daughter died of fever in Rome at the age of 10. Some of her baby children died as well. And she was often writing in her ghost stories about these experiences of sort of mourning and loss and that desire to sort of communicate with the dead. So in some of the ghost stories, there are these sort of forgotten voices that come back from the past and this sort of anguish of trying to communicate with some of these lost figures. And sometimes kind of religious beliefs might provide a kind of consolation, that belief that you could communicate with those who had been lost. And, you know, and that's something I think that does really come through in quite a few mid-Victorian ghost stories, you know, the desire to communicate, but also that sort of uncertainty about whether that was possible, so that sometimes the ghost story becomes perhaps a kind of way of, of thinking about trauma, that sort of trauma of loss and difficulties of communication. And then in Dickens, I mean, everyone's getting sick in Dickens. Is it Esther in Bleak House who exposes herself to smallpox? I'm quite struck by that because she's from a sort of a middle-class background, isn't she? And so her interaction with that little boy off the street who has smallpox. There's a fear, isn't there? You see it during this pandemic of different socioeconomic groups, of different ethnicities and of contagion. And that's why Esther's kind of transgressive behaviour in that book where she scoops up that little boy and then ends up getting very sick herself. No, exactly. And that's, you know, another really important characteristic of quite a lot of this writing. I think that idea about the infection across the classes you know that bleak house from 1853 that's obviously a really good example to be thinking about and that sometimes these women like esther or like margaret hale in elizabeth gaskell's novel north and south who's the middle class heroine there they're sort of exposing themselves to disease by trying to do good in the community you know which is obviously kind of a direct parallel to what's going on today the, the nhs staff and the importance of doing that in order to kind of try to prevent the spread of disease. A figure like Florence Nightingale, who's obviously another famous Victorian woman who Elizabeth Gaskell did know and corresponded with her family, that her as a sort of figure of the nurse who's, you know, exposing herself to infection, but also really trying to sort of find 
new ways of dealing with disease, or ways of kind of minimising that spread of disease. Well, that's quite interesting, isn't it, Florence Nightingale? Because Florence Nightingale was at the same time incredibly modern, but also very religious, wasn't she? So is there a tension in this writing between desperately sad people that lost and, and trying to communicate with lost loved ones, but also reformist urges and trying to enhance science and engineering to try and banish the diseases. Definitely. You can certainly see that that tension that you mention in quite a lot of these mid-Victorian texts, that the attitudes to religion are changing throughout the century, but also scientific progress continues very much and the sort of new understandings perhaps of how disease is is spread and the development of germ theory, how important is quarantining, keeping family members separate is maybe a more modern, but also not modern, isn't it? That idea, if you think about it, because of looking back to sort of diseases like the plague. But, you know, I think you do always see these tensions. Historians very much have looked at sort of Victorian literature in terms of these sort of new medical understandings and developments and sometimes these sort of gothic characteristics that come through in the writing are sometimes a bit like that fear of modernity about, you know, where is science actually taking you? What is the best way to deal with disease? You know, a novel like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which is, you know, earlier than the Victorian period, the earlier 19th century and is also very much about you know medical progress and kind of perhaps the dangers or the opportunities of science but that also talks about how infection can be spread within the family there's a mother figure who dies in there from being infected from nursing another member of the family so I think sometimes these sort of gothic texts pick up on those dangers of the spread of infection within the family or within the home so giving a sort of like darker side to domesticity so sort of illness and the spread or fear of contagious illness becomes part of these sort of dangers of domesticity. You know, sometimes when we're thinking about the Victorians, we're thinking very much about, you know, cosy domestic ideals and happy families, and it's all very kind of rosy. But, you know, there was this sort of constant darkness and fears of death and disease that punctuate so many Victorian texts, I think, whether they're realist or gothic. Something I never understood about Victorian texts until this time around is, like, as you say, the scariness of being at home sometimes, but also just the isolation and the strangeness. That's something that people are talking about a lot at the moment. I mean, we're obviously blessed, I suppose, with our ability to communicate remotely like you and I are now. But there is something about the disjointed nature of life when under the threat of pandemic disease as well. No, definitely. I think, you know, an idea is about isolation and strangeness would have been so familiar to the Victorians that they're very important, I think, aspects of quite a lot of their writing, you know, and that people are experiencing, as we're saying, under current circumstances, the idea that maybe you shouldn't leave your homes or you shouldn't go out in public, you should distance yourself from members of the family. But that idea about how that becomes a very strange experience is something that's written into Victorian texts, I think about feeling 
isolated or feeling confined within the home because you're not supposed to go out about feeling sort of anxious about how to care for your sick child who you might not have the money or the, the medical supplies to care for properly. The home can then become a kind of strange or uncanny space, you know, which is obviously something that ghost stories have always drawn on about how the home is, you know, a familiar space, but also a very unfamiliar space, an unhomely space as well. Well, half the utilities in the Victorian home were going to kill them anyway. I had a very weird relationship with this subject because when I was worrying about my dad earlier on in the outbreak, because we have such an emphasis in the 21st century on physical intimacy, don't we? We talk about sex and wellness. We talk about hugging, the importance of physical contact hugging. That feels like something we had to kind of backtrack on. And had my dad got very sick, I suddenly thought, well, I wouldn't rush to go and nurse him, right? I mean, or would I? I don't know. Like, we've all been wrestling with this. And that's something that the Victorians would have been very familiar with. We probably haven't come to terms with it yet. Sort of different understandings of intimacy, I suppose, as well, between their period and ours. But, you know, maybe because disease was so much more prevalent, these sorts of issues were sort of maybe more at the forefront of their minds, you know, that sort of hard to make a kind of general point about this, I suppose. Certainly, you know, I've sort of noticed these references to quarantining, even sort of looking back over things that I think I know quite well over the last couple of months. Obviously, these references now jump out at us, don't they? That various stories or texts are talking about, oh, yes, that was a period when I was quarantined from my family or my daughter or I didn't attend this funeral because I was sick like Emma Darwin doesn't go to visit her dying daughter because she's heavily pregnant and can't travel but is also kind of worried about infection so she doesn't attend the funeral a few years later her and Charles Darwin go and try and find the gravestone and they can't find it and this is a very kind of traumatic experience for them you know it's not where they think it's going to be in the churchyard and I I think that's all quite sort of interesting to think about you know I was interested to follow in the news about what people were saying about funerals and how funeral etiquette now had to be changed and you could only have a certain number of people obviously and it wasn't the same kind of perhaps ritual that people are used to or that the Victorians might have been used to. They're sort of known for having these very elaborate funerals, but again, that depends which social class you were in. But sort of the ritual of mourning and of following through the funeral or selecting the headstone and, and so on, that, that's all a kind of important part of dealing with loss, obviously. And I thought that was just sort of interesting to reflect on that when we were being given and still are this kind of advice about, you know, what happens after death and at the moment and, and how that perhaps sort of increases this strangeness, doesn't it? Absolutely. That seems to be something that people have been really finding it difficult to adapt to. Dr. Emma Liggins, thank you so much indeed for joining us on the podcast. If people want to follow more of your work, where can they do so? You can go to the Manchester Metropolitan University website and you'll see lots of information there, some links to some of my work. But my book that I've been working on on ghost stories, which is called The Haunted House in Women's Ghost Stories, Gender, Space and Modernity, that that's due out in August this year. So you might want to have a look at that if you're interested in this kind of material. Definitely. Please go and check that out, everyone. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
Thank you, Dan. Hi everyone, it's me, Dan Snow. Just a quick request. It's so annoying and I hate it when other podcasts do this, but now I'm doing it and I hate myself. Please, please go onto iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps, basically boosts up the chart, which is good. And then more people listen, which is nice. So if you could do that, I'd be very grateful. I understand if you don't want to subscribe to my TV channel. I understand if you don't want to buy my calendar, but this is free. Come on, do me a favor. Thanks. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.